The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.org. Amen. Well, we're glad you're with us this morning. We started this new year talking about prayer. And, and last week, as we, as we began to, to talk about prayer, we talked really honestly about maybe some motivations behind why we're prayerless at times. And our first motivation we looked at, the main motivation we looked at is we don't know if it really does any good. But what we learned last week is that God allows us to participate in his work through prayer because he loves us. And we left off with a really major motivation sort of at the end of that sermon, which was this, that oftentimes our prayerlessness, our prayer problem, the reason we don't pray is actually a desire problem. We don't pray because we really don't desire God like we think we should. And so I, I want to just, I want to start really quickly today by just kind of answering that. Maybe, maybe some of you heard that, you've been kind of wrestling with that this week. I know I've heard from some of you about it, and I want to kind of answer the, what do I do about that? Well, certainly this is worthy of, of uh, multiple sermons, not just a blurb in one. And, and I, I want to point you towards a resource. If you go to desiringgod.org, look up when I don't desire God. There's a fantastic resource there. It's a free book. Uh, it's an ebook that's completely free, or you can order a paperback version, but it's called When I Don't Desire God. But let me give you a few, a few things to do if you find yourself with your desirer broken, if you will. One, spend time in his word, gaze at it until you see him. And, and what I mean by that is uh, we were in Arizona um, one time. We were on a mission trip and we were out on an Indian reservation, and while we were there, there was no, uh, there there were no like outside lights, like there there weren't street lights, there wasn't a, there weren't big buildings, there wasn't a lot of electricity, and so I remember we walked out and we looked up at the sky and we could see it, like we could see the stars and we could see the Milky Way and we we could just see it, and I was like, wow, that's that's really incredible. And then we went up on this mesa and we just laid down and we just stared at it and we just stared at it. I, I don't know how long we were up there, an hour, two hours, I don't know, but we just stared at it, and the more we stared, the more amazing it became to us. It wasn't boring, it was actually more and more beautiful the more we saw, and so if you're, if, if you're having a struggle with whether you really desire God as much as you should or not, spend time in his word, continue to gaze at his word until you see him. The longer you look, the more you'll see, and the second thing, pray, ask for the desire, the fact that we desire God, there's nothing in us that should desire God. We are broken, fractured people. The only reason we desire him is because the Holy Spirit has done a work in our lives. Amen, right? That's the only reason we desire him is because the Holy Spirit has done a work in us. You're gonna stand there and take credit for that? Well, I desire God while he doesn't. No, no, no. Obviously, the Holy Spirit has done a work in you because what we desire is death. That's what we chase after, but God has obviously done a work in us. So if you want that desire, ask him for it admit that brokenness there and ask him for it the third thing spend time around those who desire him and you've had that experience I'm sure where you've been around people who who are uh, just passionately in love with Jesus and then you walk away what inspired you walk away passionately in love with Jesus or you walk away at least interested or or something in you's been stirred up right so spend time around people who love him and when our desire is set on him we will pray 
we will desire to spend more time with him. We see that in the life of Jesus. Jesus often went away to pray. Why? Because he desired the Father. He wanted to be with the Father. He wanted to know the Father more. And so he stayed closer and closer and closer to God in prayer. And so I think for us, we need focused prayer time. If you desire God, then you must have a focused prayer time. Now listen, praying throughout the day is good and it is right. But as I heard someone say one time, you can't get to know somebody through sound bites, right? You've got to spend that time with them. And so I would recommend a morning prayer time. And, and I'm just real quickly, this is not the point of our sermon today. I just want to give you some tips. I'm just going to put them all up here. These are seven tips. These did not come from me. This came from Paul Miller, that book I recommended to you last week of Praying Life. These are seven tips for that prayer time. One, get to bed. Morning and evening are connected, right? We stay up really late. We're going to have a rough morning. Two, get up meaning get out of bed. Please don't try to pray in bed. You'll see how good that goes when you wake up an hour late for work. Get awake, get awake. It doesn't mean that you have to get up and immediately start praying. If you need to get awake, if taking a shower is what wakes you up, if having coffee is what wakes you up, if walking lazily through your living room until you step on a Lego wakes you up, then by all means, step on a Lego, all right? Get awake, the Lord deserves our attention. Get a uh, quiet place. Now that doesn't necessarily mean Uh, perfectly quiet. I can't get within 10 miles of my house and there's a quiet place because I have four kids that are part um, me. And so don't get interrupted is what I mean by that. Find a quiet place. So like for us, like Angela, when she, in the morning, she can make breakfast for the kids. When they're out there in the living room, when they're out there in the kitchen and they're eating, I can stay back in the bedroom, shut the door and I have a quiet place. I have a place where I won't get interrupted. Well, if I lock the door and pretend to be dead. So anyway, so find that, find that quiet place. Second thing, get com- or the fifth thing, get comfortable. Uh, don't be distracted by the environment that you're in. Find a comfortable environment. Get going. Set a reasonable goal, however small it is, and just start. Maybe you say, uh, well, I don't know, five minutes? I mean, I think I could do five minutes. Then start with five minutes. Don't feel guilty about it. Just get going. Start with five minutes, and you'll see over time that five minutes will grow. But set a reasonable goal, get going, and then keep going. Just keep going. Consistency is so key. Just keep going. The next day, go. You miss a day, keep going. Go the next day. You keep going. That five minutes was pretty rough the, the, the day before. That's all right. Keep going. So those are seven quick tips. And again, if our desire is set on him, then we will pray. We will be people who want to be connected to him. So our question for today, what we're dealing with today is how do we pray? How do we pray? And I want to answer that through this scripture in Matthew 18. Jesus says in Matthew 18, three, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So today what we're talking about is praying like a child. Pray like a child. So the first way, the first thing that I think that means is that one, we approach like a child. Children are real. There is no, there's no pretense in them. Like, like they, when they approach you, they approach you. And so I'll give you an example. Um, just this week, my, my daughter, Piper Grace, she loves spaghetti and really all things edible, but spaghetti in particular, she's, uh, she loves spaghetti and she will eat her weight uh, in spaghetti. And, and so uh, this actually last night she was eating spaghetti and uh, she ran over to me because she wanted to talk to her daddy. She wanted to see her daddy. And so I don't know if she loves the taste of spaghetti the most or if she loves how it feels all over her skin because it always ends up all over here. I don't know how you miss your mouth that bad, but anyway, it's always all over her. And so I'm sitting on the couch and she just runs over and she just jumps on me. And she just got spaghetti all over her. Now I have spaghetti all over me and she just jumps on me. She just, she wanted to come tell me something. So she did. She just ran up to me. She jumped in my lap and she just did. 
She didn't go clean herself up first. She didn't try to uh, see if I was busy. She didn't come up to me and say, excuse me, Papa, right? Like, might I have a moment? Like, no, that didn't happen. Covered in spaghetti, she just jumped all over me. And we are to come to God in the same way. Jesus prepares praise for himself out of the mouth of babes, not out of the, 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 uh, pretentious, the pretentious mouths of the Pharisees, right? Paul Miller in The Praying Life said, the only way to come to God is by taking off any spiritual mask. The real you has to meet the real God. So come to the Father covered in spaghetti. Come to the Father covered like with, with, all, with all of the problems in your life. Come to the Father. With all of the hurt, come to the Father. With all of the doubt, come to the Father. With all of the pain, come to the Father. You see it in the scriptures. You see Pharisees who try to clean themselves up and then they go talk to Jesus all cleaned up. We're all good. We got it all together. We've never done anything wrong. And they're rejected by him. And yet you see prostitutes and you see sinners and tax collectors and liars and you see all of these people and Jesus is embracing them. Why? Because they took their mask off. They're approaching him like a child. They're messy, like children are messy and they're approaching him like that, honestly. And Jesus is embracing them. You know, it's, it's interesting. Jesus tells us, if you wanna come to me, what does he say? If, you're, if you've got burdens, if you've got baggage, bring them to me. He doesn't say, if you've got burdens, you've got baggage, you've got all these problems, figure that out first. When you get it figured out, then, then meet me down here, right? He says, you bring that mess to me. You approach me like a child. So our first step in prayer is to approach God like that, approach like a child, authentically like a child. The second thing is we ask like a child. We ask like a child. Quite a few sub points after this. I don't know how you keep notes. I don't know how much space you're taking up. I just want to give you a little bit of warning. There's a, there's a few of these. Ask like a child. So sub point, here we go. That means we ask honestly. Little children tell you what they want. They, there's no, there, there is no like uh, uh, anything formal there. They will tell you what they want. My um, twins' birthday, uh, birthdays is coming up in March. So in March, they'll be five years old, which is absolutely mind-boggling to think that they're um, that old. And, and to think, like, I'm only, like, 19. So anyway, so they're gonna be... They're going to be five in March, and in March, something else is going to happen. Uh, there is, the Nintendo is coming out with this new game system called a Switch, um, and uh, my kids are really excited about it. Not anywhere close as excited as I am about it, but they're excited about it. And so my six-year-old Max, his birthday is in September, he says, when does the Switch come out? So it comes out in March, and he starts immediately doing the math, and he's like, oh, no, that's too long. Oh, wait. Piper Grace and Jude's birthday's in March, right? I said, yeah. And he goes, get that for them for their birthday. And I said, well, I haven't asked them. Maybe, maybe they don't want it. And he goes, they want it. And then I go, but no, like I need to ask them. He says, daddy, you buy the Switch for them and then you and me play it. And I was like, all right, well, I'm getting the Switch, right? Like he, there was, he didn't play around. Like he didn't even fake it. He wasn't even like, you know what? Daddy, you should get the switch. Jude has actually told me he wants it, right? I don't even want to play it, Daddy. This is all for him. No, no, no. He doesn't even do that. He's just straight up. Buy it for them. It will be advantageous for me, right? Like he's just, he's honest about what he wants. And, and I think we have to do the same. If you look at all these promises of God, you look at Jesus talking about prayer, what's the, what's the word that sticks out to you? Ask, 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 ask. And I'm not saying be disrespectful. Don't be silly. Don't be disrespectful. Don't, don't ask him for anything that would violate what you know is true about him. Don't ask him for something that would violate your love for him or your love for people. 
Absolutely not. Don't ask for anything hateful, but be honest and ask. And you might say, well, I'm afraid. I don't know if I'm asking the right thing. Then don't be afraid because the Holy Spirit can handle your honesty. Check out the scripture, Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Be honest and let the Holy Spirit handle, handle your honesty. So ask honestly and also ask persistently. Uh, my children aren't persistent, to say the least. On Fridays, uh, it's, it's my day off, and so on Fridays, I get to go pick up my son, Max, from elementary school. And uh, sometimes after, after that, we'll, all, we'll go to Sonic. Sonic does, you know, from 2 to 4 is happy hour um, or whatever. So uh, we'll, get him, we'll get him like a something, and it'll cost like 50 cents, and then I, I'm like the best dad in the world. Um, and so anyway, we, we normally stop and do that. But sometimes, like, we pass a Walgreens, and on a rare occasion, we'll stop at Walgreens, and Walgreens has toys, and they're incredibly overpriced because they're at, well, Walgreens. Why would Walgreens carry toys? So every now and then, maybe we'll stop at Walgreens, and we'll find, like, a little, he loves, they love Nintendo. Like, Mario is their idol, and if you've ever seen my father-in-law, then you'll know why, because he's a walking Mario. But anyway, um, I'm, t- I'm serious. I'm absolutely serious. The next time he's here, you're, you're, everyone in here is going to be like, I knew, that's Mario. Uh, so anyway... So they have these little Nintendo toys, and they're really, really expensive, but whatever. He always wants one. So on the way home Friday, um, he said, Daddy, we should stop at Walgreens. And I said, no, we should not. And he said, well, we should. There's Nintendo toys there. And I said, yeah, but um, I don't have any money for Nintendo toys. And I love a mommy, and I'm scared of mommy. And so we do not need to buy these Nintendo toys. And so the entire ride home, he's thinking up reasons why we need to go to Walgreens. Daddy. We should go to Walgreens. They have medicine. I don't feel so good. And I'm like, son, I don't care. We're not going to Walgreens, right? And so he just kept coming up with things. Like, you get snacks sometimes from Walgreens. We should go to Walgreens get snacks. All right, we should go to Walgreens, look at toys, just to make sure they, they have them. We don't have to buy them. We just need to make sure they still have toys, right? Like, and he's, he's absolutely persistent. And you know what his persistence revealed to me? Because we know we're supposed to pray persistently. I mean, Jesus tells us that. But you know what his persistence like, revealed to me? He's helpless. Like, my boy can't get to Walgreens without me, all right? He can't buy his Nintendo toys without me. It doesn't matter. Like, I wish I could just say, son, I, when we get home, I'm going to take a nap. Here are the keys. You know what I mean? Like, go to Walgreens, stop by your work, pick up your paycheck, and go buy your Nintendo toys, right? Like, I wish I could do that. He's six, right? Like he doesn't do, he doesn't have a job. Like he barely does chores. He can't drive that well. Like he's six years old. And so there's a helplessness there. So why is he persistent? Because he has no other choice. He has to be persistent because he's helpless. And if we understand our helplessness, if we aren't prideful and arrogant about our situation, if we understand our helplessness without God, then we will be persistent in prayer. When we are not persistent in prayer, it's almost like we're sending that message to God that, hey, if you could help me out, that would be great, but I got plan B and C over here if you don't come through. If we're persistent, then we're helpless. And if we're helpless and we're persistent, there's a scripture in Luke 11. I want you to see it. Could you turn there? Luke 11 chapter 5, because I want you to see this. I'm, I wanna, we're going to read it together, but I want you to specifically see it. I want you to put your own eyes on it here in verse 5. Luke 11, verse 5. This is Jesus talking about persistence. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. 
For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. If you write in your Bible, highlight on your phone, whatever, get that right there. I have nothing. Verse 7, and he will answer from within. Don't bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Look at verse 6. What does he say? I have nothing. Like, if, if you don't come through, I have nothing. I have nothing on my own. I have nothing without you. I have nothing. He's helpless. And what's the result there in verse 8? He's persistent. He's shamelessly persistent. He's shamelessly persistent. He's beating on the door. Yeah, I know. Your kids are in bed. I know. I know. I know you got to sleep. I know it's late. I know. You're my only hope. Help me. Help me. Help me. So being aware of our helplessness drives us to be persistent to God in prayer. And again, I think that should be a heart check for us when we think about the things that we need in our lives and we're not persistent. Why aren't we persistent? Why do we feel like we can stand on our own? Why don't we feel more helpless about ourselves? Because helplessness is the heart of prayer. Let me read you this quote from Thomas Merton. Check this out. Prayer is an expression of who we are. We are a living incompleteness. We are a gap, an emptiness that calls for fulfillment. Isn't that incredible? We are a living incompleteness, a gap, an emptiness that calls for fulfillment. We need him. And when we recognize our helplessness in him, we will be persistent in our prayers. And God responds to persistent prayer. He reveals it. He shows it. We've seen it. And why is that? I have a thought, I have a thought, and here it is. There's a purity in our persistent prayer that puts on display our helplessness and sets the stage for his power to show up and show out. Let me explain what I mean by that. I'll give you an example. A friend of mine um, came to Christ, uh, changed his life, and he had a family who did not. And he had a family who ridiculed him for his faith, persecuted him even for his faith. There were consequences in his family for this. And so we began to pray. We began to pray for his family. There was nothing we could do. I could go over there with my nice little pastor silver tongue, right, or whatever, and be like, don't you want to follow Jesus, brother? Like, nothing was going to work. He could sit down and plead with his family. There's a better way for you. Nothing was going to work. We were helpless. So for years, all we could do was pray. Pray, pray, pray. We could get together. We could try to talk about a strategy. We could do this. We could do that. It doesn't matter. We're helpless. God, you need to do a work because we can't. This work is beyond us. And then the day came. Then the day came when his family turned to faith and they turned to Christ. And I remember that day. And I remember how beautiful God was that day. I remember how powerful God was that day. I remember how incredible that testimony was that day. And why? I think it was through the persistent in prayer. All we could do, when we look back on those years, there was not a moment where we could pat each other on the back and go, yeah, man, look at what we did. Man, our hard work really paid off. No, no, no. We just cried out to God for years. We can't do it. And every year I believed more and more that I was powerless and more and more I believed in his power till ultimately he displayed it. 
And so there is a God-glorifying element of the persistence in prayer that's worthy of our time and worthy of our attention. So recognize your helplessness in all things. And when you do, you will be persistent in prayer. So ask honestly, ask persistently, and ask constantly. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing. Invite him into the everyday moments of your life. You know what I call these prayers? I call these daddy prayers. I can't tell you how many times throughout the day I hear daddy, 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 daddy. And usually at the other end of daddy, 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 it is not something profound. It is not daddy, 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 daddy. I have discovered the meaning of life. I would like to share it with you. No, daddy, 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 daddy. I pooped, right? Like it's something that profound. Daddy, 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 daddy. This water's really cold. Awesome, cool, thanks for sharing, right? It's always something like that. Daddy, 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 daddy. Why are they doing that? Why do they call out to me constantly? Why? Why in the world? I think it's because, again, they're inviting me into their lives. Every element of their life, daddy and mommy are part of it. They can't imagine, nor do they want to imagine a world where that is not true. And I know that'll change. I know there will come teenagers one day and they will think the complete opposite, right? The only thing following daddy, daddy, daddy is give me money and I'll leave me alone, right? And I understand that. But right now, every part of their life, they want me in it. They want Angela in it more than anything else. They want their mommy, they want their daddy. So they're asking constantly. And I think that that follows Romans 8, where it says that our spirits now cry out, Abba, Father. We are to constantly be running to our daddy throughout the day, constantly having those daddy prayers. Why? Because I want you in my life. I want you to be in these relationships. I want you to be at my work. I want you to be in my family. I want you to be in my relationships with my friends and to be in this difficulty and to be into this joy. And so daddy, 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 look. Daddy, 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 help. Daddy, 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 be here. Be right here. And you know, there's a, a friend of mine here in this church and she does this. She does this. Literally, there will be moments, we'll be in conversation and something will come up or something will slip her mind. And you know what she'll do? She'll call out to Abba in that moment. She'll go, Lord, help me remember that. Lord, help me with this. Lord, please don't let me forget what he just said. And at first, I'll tell you what, it was a little off-putting. It was like, oh, what now? Excuse me, I'm sorry. Is he talking back to you, right? Like, at first a little off-putting, but, but now, like, I, I admire it. Why? Because she's, she's like a child. She's asking constantly. There are a million daddy prayers that come out of her mouth every day. There's not an element of her life that is off limits to the Father. And in the same way, I want us to be like that. You know, Paul mentions unceasing prayer 12 different times in the scriptures. This, there's a constant daddy prayers we should have throughout the day. Paul Miller, again, in A Praying Life, says, A praying life isn't simply a morning prayer time. It's about slipping into prayer at odd hours of the day. Not because we're disciplined, but because we're in touch with our own poverty of spirit, realizing that we can't even walk through a mall or our neighborhood without the help of the Spirit of Jesus. May we constantly be calling out to our daddy. May these prayers constantly be coming out of our mouth because I don't want to live without him. I don't want this moment to exist without him. 
May we ask constantly. So approach God like a child. Authentically ask like a child. And thirdly, receive like a child. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at a really familiar uh, passage of scripture. Maybe you've heard it before. Um, one that I'll be honest, when we talk about prayer, it's one that's made me uncomfortable. It's, made, it's one that, that's been difficult for me to try to wrap my head around and, and try to figure out how it all fits together. And so I hope the Lord will do, will do something for us in this moment as we unpack it with him. There in verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. You know... When you hear that, ask and receive. Those who ask will receive. You know, in our culture, we hear people use these words of Jesus a lot, and they use it to justify prosperity. Ask, and you'll receive prosperity in your health. Ask, and you'll receive prosperity in your finances. Ask, and you'll receive prosperity relationally. Well, I I believe that we have to interpret Scripture in light of Scripture, and I just don't think that's true. I mean, we have examples where that's not true. We have the Apostle Paul, right? begging God to take this this thorn out of his flesh. He asked, and did he receive that relief? No, quite the opposite. We have John the Baptist asking Jesus, if you really are the Christ, like you're gonna like get me out of jail, right? That ended with him getting his head cut off. So we have examples of how this is not true. So what does it mean to ask, uh, to ask and receive like a child? What does that look like? Does it mean that we get everything we ask for? Of course not. I mean, when I think, about, I think about my relationship with my children, last night, uh, we, we played basketball yesterday. My kids had their first games, um, which is like, I don't know. I was going to say like herding cats, but if the cats like had been in a washing machine uh, 10 minutes prior to the game, right? So they were a little bit more confused than usual. And so that's kind of what it was like. And they were really tired by the end of it. And uh, so we were eating dinner and my son, Max, you know, he said, you know, I had a long day. I think I want Doritos and Fruity Pebbles for dinner. And I was like, yeah, absolutely, you earned it. No, 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 of course. Like, did, I, did he get that? No, of course he didn't. I mean, he did and he didn't. He got a few Doritos, maybe a little bit of Fruity Pebbles, but he got real food too, all right? Like, no, 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 you can't just, no, you just can't eat that. I took my son Wit to the store the other day to pick up some essentials. And while we're in the store, my little man, they, you know, they put candy down at their level because stores hate parents. And so anyway, we walk in, and he immediately, he's two years old, he would just walk in, he'd pick, he'd like pick something up, and he would go, this? And I'd go, no. And he'd go, oh. And he'd set it down. And he'd walk a little bit more, and he'd go, this? And i go, no. And he'd go, oh. And he'd set it down, and he'd go, this? This occurred the entire time we were in the store, all right? The absolute entire time we were in the store. The cashier, eventually she goes, are you going to get him a piece of candy? And I said, no. And she said, oh. And so anyway, we, like, did he get that? No. No, he didn't get that. Why? Because I'm a bad dad. No, that might be true, but no. It seems as though there's some sort of parameter to our receiving. We can ask, but there's something there to it. I wish the scriptures would tell us. Because Matthew 7, 7 through 8 just says, ask and you'll receive. I wish there would be some. Oh, the scripture keeps going. Look at verse 9. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? What's the parameter to our receiving? Good gifts. God 
only gives good gifts. So we can ask, but he will only give us what he deems to be good for us. That's what I try with my children. They can ask for Pop-Tarts for dinner. They will not get it. I will, that sounds pretty good, but they will not because their father has deemed that not good for them and their father will try to give them good gifts. God doesn't try, he does. He gives us good gifts and that's the parameter. God says, ask, and if it's good for you, I will give it to you. If it's not, I won't. So we have to receive like a child. What that means is ask, but trust that whatever our father says is good, that's what you'll get. Because our father only gives good gifts. His perfect will is better. Let's go back to Paul. Paul is asking God, he's got this thorn in his flesh. God, would you remove it? And he asked him three times. He's being persistent. God, remove this thorn in my flesh. Remove it. Second Corinthians 12, remove this from me. But God doesn't. Why? Because it's not good for him to remove it. Look at verse 9. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, Paul says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul asked for a gift. Remove this from me. God says, No, I have a good gift for you. That won't be for your good. That won't be for your good. This will. So here it is. And so trust Ask like a child, but trust that our Father only gives good gifts. So ask for healing, and you will receive what's good. Ask, ask for the promotion, and you'll receive what's good. Ask, ask for the relationship, and you'll receive what's good. Can I tell you something else that's good about the fact that our Father only gives good gifts, not just what we ask Him? Can I tell you what's good about the fact that He's not just a genie, just just giving us exactly what we want? He's not a short-order cook, right? Check this scripture out, Ephesians 3.20. Now all glory to God, who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. He will not only give you what's good, but it says that, that he might give you something that you can't even think about. You don't even know to ask for it. So you might be asking for a Twinkie and he's got filet mignon over here, right? You might be asking for this and going, this is all I want. This is the world to me. And God's like, oh, no, 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 no. You can't even begin to wrap your head around what I'm gonna give you. Trust that he's gonna give you what's best. I mean, a great example. Angela and I, we were in another church about 10 years ago. Um, and, and we had been at that church, uh, after a couple years of being at that church, um, we were just, I, I was just broken about some things happening at that church, really upset, and, and so we were praying and asking God to change something, whether that was to, to take me away to do this other thing that I wanted to do, or to, to stay at that church, God, and would you just change some things here at this church, and, and all this other stuff, and then he did something else, he led me here, Remember the first time I got a call from Christchurch, I did not know uh, who you crazy people were. Uh, and so um, I remember saying like, like, okay. And like hanging up the phone, and he was like, what are you thinking? And I was like, I- I'm just probably gonna say we don't have time to talk to him. Like, I- we've, got, we've got these two things we need to do. This is, the- we're gonna see what the Lord does. And Angel was like, no, we need, to, we need to talk to him. Like, this isn't an accident. The Lord's in control here. Just t- at least talk to him. And so then I ended up here. I wanted God to give me a gift in this church or God to give me a gift that looked like this. And instead, God gave me a place where I've been able to learn and I've been able to preach and I've been able to lead and, and you've made me an elder and you've loved my family well and you've, you've, just, you've endured me so often, right? And so I asked for one thing and God gave me something greater than I could ever think of. I couldn't imagine this place. I couldn't imagine you people. 
you're better than God than I could ever imagine, than I could ever dream of. God did something for my family. So ask like a child, but receive like a child as well. You will only receive good gifts. And God's good gifts are more than we could ever imagine. So we receive like a child. And lastly, believe like a child. Real quick, sorry. Lord, would you help us? This is, this is hard. Would you help us? This is above us. Help us. James 1, 5 through 7. Would you turn there? James 1. This is our last scripture we're going to look at. James 1, 5 through 7. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Maybe you've heard the scripture before, I have. When we pray, don't doubt. Don't doubt. If you doubt, you will not, don't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Don't doubt. I've never understood this. You know, what does it mean, don't doubt? Does that mean don't doubt the outcome? That's, that, was, that had always been my understanding. Don't doubt. If, if I ask the Lord to do something and I doubt whether or not he will do it or not, if I doubt the outcome, then I've doubted and God will not give me what I've asked for. Have you thought that way? Like, be honest. Don't, don't raise your hand or anything. I'm just saying, like, just be honest. Just think. Have you thought that way? I have. That's silly, though. It doesn't sound silly. That I can make demands of God and just if I believe hard enough, then, then fairies will sprout wings or whatever. You know what I mean? Like if I believe hard enough, then it will happen. Is that what it's talking about? I don't think so. Doubting whether or not the outcome will be what it will be, doubting whether or not God will do this or do that, is not me doubting God. It's doubting me. It's doubting my own intellect. Do I know what to ask for? We just read a scripture that says he does more than we can even think of. So it's not doubting him, it's doubting me. God, maybe I'm not even thinking big enough. That's where my doubt is. So that doubt, that doesn't seem offensive at all. I mean, think about it. If I were to ask God, God, give me this job. The illustration I just gave you, God, give me this job. And if I were to doubt whether or not he will give me this job or not, that doubt's not directed at him, that doubt's directed at me. God, maybe I'm not asking for the right thing. Maybe you have something better for me than that. So what does it mean here to pray and not doubt? I don't think it's talking about doubting the outcome because we don't know. God does things we can't even begin to, to ask for. So what does it mean to not doubt? It means don't doubt him. Doubt yourself, sure. The outcome, sure. Him, never. And what that means is this. This is the doubt that kills our prayers. This is the doubt that stops them before they start. Not doubting that you know what he's gonna do because you don't, but doubting him. So don't. So when we come to the Lord, if you want your prayers to not die as soon as they leave your your lips, then when you come to the Lord, don't for one second doubt his love for you. Don't doubt his care. My kids have a confidence in my love. PG, my daughter, if I yell at her, if I raise my voice at my daughter, we've spanked her like twice. All I have to do is raise my voice and she just melts. She just collapses in the floor. And so if I yell at her and she's just upset and she's crying or whatever, she will run away from me and she'll just like go cry somewhere and then she'll come back. And what will she do? She'll hug me. Why? Because she knows I love her. She's confident in her daddy's love. Even though her daddy is who made her cry, she's confident that her daddy loves her and she'll come hug me. 
When we pray, we must have complete confidence in his love for us. We must know that he wants what's best for us. So when you pray, don't you dare doubt his love for you. And the second thing, when you come to the Lord, don't doubt his wisdom either. My kids have confidence that I know better than they do. Now, again, that will change, but they do right now. My son Jude looked at me the other day, and he just looked me right in the face. He got real close to my face. I don't know why. He's a close talker, but he is. So he got right in my face, and he said, Daddy, one day, will I be as smart as you? And I remember, like, I was kind of, like, touched. I was a little overwhelmed with emotion. I remember just taking his sweet little hands in my face, and I said, Son, no. No, you never will be smarter than me. But when my kids come to me, they don't doubt for a second that daddy knows what he's talking about. So when we pray, we must have complete confidence that he knows what's best for us. I don't make a single demand of him because he knows better than I do. So when you pray, don't doubt his wisdom. And thirdly, when you come to the Lord, don't doubt his power. My kids trust me to protect them. Again, just a conversation I had with you this week about about strength. I said, son, who's the strongest man in the world? And he said, you are. I said, that's right, that's right. And he said, uh, I said, he said, well, maybe a giant could beat you. And then I said, huh, well, son. And I pulled out the Bible and I read David and Goliath and I told him to repent immediately for doubting my strength. No, I'm just kidding, no. When we pray, we must have complete confidence in his power to be able to do what's best for us. Not only do I know that he wants what's best, not only do I know that he knows what's best, I know that he can do anything. That there's, there are mountains, according to the Psalms, mountains melt in front of him. What in the world? If God is for us, who can be against us? When you pray, don't you dare doubt his power. So how is doubt defined in the scripture? double-mindedness. That's what we just saw in the scripture, double-minded. That's a person who they might throw up a prayer to God, right? That's their, that's their prayer. But then they've got a safety plan. They got plan B, they got plan C, because why? They don't really believe his power will come through. They don't really believe that he really cares about this situation and they're double-minded. So when we pray, don't doubt. Doubt ourselves, sure. Doubt him, never. He loves me. He'll protect me. He'll work for my best. He's supremely wise. He knows what's best. He's supremely powerful. He can do anything. To close it out, I want to talk about something that's happening right now. And we think about, and I spoke to them before, we, th- we think about uh, Coach Owen here, David Owen in our congregation who has terminal cancer. You know, told recently his, his prognosis, it, it's not good. But, you know, as we think about that, we think about prayer, like, number one, let me just say this real quick, just as an aside. It's, it's not over. The, the cancer's not in charge. The doctors aren't in charge. Listen to me. He could die in this moment, and the Lord could bring him back for his own purposes. Like, it's not over. Now, look, I'm not trying to say, like, he's going to. I'm just saying that I don't doubt for a second God's power in this moment. And so I went to his house, and I've been praying for him persistently and constantly that God would do a work in him and that God would heal him. I went to his house, I put my hand on his chest, and I asked God to remove the illness from him and remove the sickness from him. Will God do that? I don't know. I don't know. Does that mean that I doubt God? Not for one second. 
I don't doubt for one second that God loves Coach and God loves Lynn and that he wants what's best for them. I don't doubt for a second that God is supremely wise and he knows what's best for Coach. He knows what's best for Lynn. I don't doubt for a second that God is supremely powerful and nothing is gonna keep him from doing what's best for them. Nothing, not my prayers, not any, not any doctors, not any cancer, nothing will keep him from doing what's best for them. He's supremely loving, supremely wise, and supremely powerful. Do I doubt him? Not for one moment. And when we pray, we must pray that way. So when we pray, don't doubt. Don't you doubt his care for you. Don't you doubt his wisdom. Don't you doubt his power. Don't doubt him. Don't doubt him. Would you pray with me as we close? God, help us to pray like children. So often, I certainly don't want to act like a child. I want to have it all together. I want to have it, I want to know all the solutions. Grant's got the answers. He'll figure it out. I want to be that guy for my family, for my church, for my friends, for myself. I want to be that person. And oftentimes, Lord, my pride leaves me prayerless. God, help us be like children. To pray like children. To come to you messy and covered in our burdens. To ask you honestly and persistently and constantly to have those daddy prayers always slipping out of our mouths to receive like a child to trust that you're only going to give us what's good that gift might not look anything like what we ask for but it's still good because that's the only thing that comes from our father and to believe like a child help us not for one second to doubt your care to doubt your power to doubt that you know better. So God, thank you for hearing us. Thank you for doing a work in us. Thank you for teaching us to pray. Thank you for connecting us to your power through it. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this morning we're gonna get to celebrate together um, with communion. So I'm gonna ask if you're gonna help serve communion, would you come forward? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and we had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a time for us to celebrate his body broken, his blood poured out. A time for us to slow down, stop thinking about where we're going to eat, stop thinking about the pressures of this week, but just to slow down and stop and think in this moment that the most valuable one in all of the universe deemed us valuable enough to give up all things for us, to suffer and to die for us. His body 
broken for you. His blood poured out for you. So we're going to have you come forward in just a moment. I'm going to pray for us and you'll come forward. The ushers will dismiss you by row. You'll come forward, take the bread, dip it in the juice, eat it, return to your seat. And I want to say this, we don't get to say this every time. If you need to be served, if, if you can't come for whatever reason, you need to stay in your seat, would you just put your hand up?